0: This week, you get to hear from Liz Lapointe, who is um, somebody that I really admire in her ability to speak about sexuality and health and freedom in a way that very few people are able to do. Um, So this conversation tackles um, subjects such as parenting, um, what it means to be a, a, a husband and a wife. Um, how advertisement has um, kind of bought us over in in believing certain things are true when they're not Um, and and obviously looking at kind of sexuality and how um, sexuality within religion is framed in such a negative consistently and how basically it's time to take sexuality back and to frame it in a positive light so that we can fully understand and be who we are naturally. So, yeah. I hope this conversation helps many of you as you begin to look at your own lives and look at how you are in the world. I think for me, this conversation has reminded me how important it is to be a good parent and how my children are little mirrors of me and how I can see myself in them consistently. The the good and the bad and that when I see the bad, that's an opportunity to make it better for the future. So yeah, I hope you get the heart. I hope you enjoy it. Cheers. Welcome to When Belief Dies, a podcast honestly reflecting on faith, religion and life. This podcast is all about listening. We want people to share their reasons for faith or their reasons for non-belief so that we can better understand what has or has not convinced somebody of the claims that different religions profess. This is a journey, it's not a destination. And I'm really excited to have you listening with us each week as we delve into different viewpoints from different parts of the world to try and uncover the truth. Enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of When Belief Dies. My name's Sam, and today I'm delighted to introduce Liz LaPointe. Liz, it's it's great to have you on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. (laughs)
0: So Liz, um, I've been kind of following um, some of your work now for a while. I think I first came across you on Twitter um, a good year and a bit ago now. And um, yeah, I was just really kind of um, impressed with your boldness and your bravery in, in kind of both within atheism or kind of um, scepticism, and also kind of uh, uh, expressing uh, healthy sexuality, which is something that I've um, still got a lot to learn about, I think, especially with kind of coming from a very kind of conservative Christian upbringing. Um, but Liz, I just thought it'd be great to get you on the podcast to talk about your story and to talk about sort of the, the the reasons why you do and share the things that you do and share. So to start off with, if you're happy, would you mind just kind of giving um, my, my, my audience an idea of who you are and, and yeah, and a bit of your backstory, if that's okay?
1: Yeah, um these things are often hard to start, right? Because it's such deep, heavy conversation and uh so I will preemptively apologize right now by the way because I have a tendency to do this thing where I sigh very heavily when I, <laughs> when I talk about deep subjects. Um but I was raised um my mother is from Ethiopia. I was born and raised here in the United States. Um, But my mother's from Ethiopia, and my father is a white American who uh, grew up in the Midwest, in Minnesota and Wisconsin. And he was in the Navy, and he met and married my mother in Ethiopia. And um, long story short, uh, (laughs) she is Greek Orthodox, and he was more Lutheran. Her influence religiously was probably stronger um, they divorced by the time i was four and um he had a long military career so he traveled a lot and um so the influence was more on her end that said i was not raised in a bubble i was not raised in a strict religious like um i wasn't sheltered i wasn't um, i didn't only have church friends and you know i find that um Compared to, I guess, if you want to just look at social media, um, compared to what I notice a lot of other um, atheists on social media, or at least outspoken atheists say, I feel like I'm a little unique because I feel like most fall into one of two camps. They they were either always atheist or just were raised in non-religious homes, or they come from very strict fundamentalist Cultures, And I'm in neither of those camps. I'm kind of a, you know, I grew up with a lot of religious influence, but still uh, was able to keep an objectivity, I guess, with the way I processed a lot of it. So by the time I was in my mid teens, I was already questioning a lot of, um, you know, the beliefs and standards expected, etc, etc. And it was through paying attention to history and learning about uh, women's rights, civil rights, et cetera, that I started making the connection that a common denominator in the oppression of other people was religion. And it just snowballed from there. By the time I was in my early twenties, I was calling myself agnostic because I wasn't ready to think even deeper about it yet. I just knew that I was questioning it all. And there probably wasn't a God and that most religions were probably, you know, some were, you had good intentions and wanted to improve the world and were just misguided and failing at it in some way or another. And others were more on the evil cult end, <laughs> you know? And, uh, but I was still in that, by my early twenties, I was still in the I'm not comfortable saying there absolutely is no God or at least that I absolutely don't believe that there is. So I went with the agnostic label for a long time. And um, then when I was emotionally ready to think even deeper about it, um, I finally made the connection that you could say, well, we don't know for a fact whether there is a God or there isn't. And I get being comfortable in that position, because I was for a long time. And, um, and then I realized, but you could say that about anything that someone proposes to you. Like anybody could come to you with the most asinine, absurd, <laughs> extraordinary claims about something. And then say, well, if you can't prove it, if you can't prove I'm, I'm wrong, I mean, then, you know, you have to accept, well, it's possible. And once I made that connection, it finally made me go, you know, we've had humans have had eons now to come forward with evidence or proof for their claims. And I think it's been long enough to reasonably conclude that none of them exist. And that's the position I finally came to, that it's a reasonable position to take. Nope, I'm not buying that your God is the exception.
0: Yeah. 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 That makes absolute sense. I think that's a really, really helpful. I mean, so have you kind of um, always found that it's been quite a a free environment for you and have you had um, friends or family that have been through similar things and has it it kind of been the same case for them?
1: You know, family might be the only people I don't discuss this with. This is one of those topics that, uh, you know, the common saying that, uh, what are the three topics that you never talk about in polite society or whatever in polite circles? It's it's sex, religion, and politics, right? Unfortunately, that's my family. We don't talk about those things. And so <laughs> we're not that kind of family. It does tend to lean conservative in that dynamic, my family. But none of them, for the most part, vote conservative or, you know, are like... Um. Um, I don't know. You know what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, ab- absolutely. I think it's um, it's fascinating because it's a it's a similar sort of situation with my family, or at least, so it's it's different with my parents. Both my parents are very much like eager to discuss kind of God, but um, my brothers and a lot of my close friends and, and other relatives um, just almost just it's almost like that elephant in the room they just don't really want to go into it And they're all kind of aware that this podcast is a thing and that i've got a blog and i've kind of gone through this journey and um they're just not really able to have a a non-deep painful conversation about it straight away like there's no like easy in route it's it's bizarre um yeah it's, it's, it's a strange one um, and I guess kind of as you've as you've kind of gone through the motions of, of finally kind of resting in this sort of um, um agnostic atheist place um, where you're able to say this is this is not this is not true and i'm I'm, I'm happy to stand in that um have you found that's affected relationships or uh, purpose or or any of these kind of like bigger sort of um questions that a, a, a lot of people tend to find are very much rocked when they kind of walk away from a faith but i kind of wonder for you when you kind of realized that, that you almost were happy to put your kind of um your 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 colors to the mast um whether you did feel that like there was any kind of issues with purpose or kind of your your destiny or anything like that did those sort of questions come up at all for you
1: um not not as far as um Purpose in life or destiny, or I mean, I always felt a little lost, even when I was a you know, in my young teens. And oh, great, I'm sorry, my light just went out.
0: It's all right, don't worry.
1: <laughs> now I'm in the dark. I'm sorry. Do I look like uh, anyway? Um, so not as far as that, I, I always, even in my teens, I always felt a little lost with what I was going to do after high school and everything because. Um, I had so many things I was passionately interested in. I didn't know what to choose. I had that, you know, that, um, that, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That um, where you kind of freeze in your decision-making because you're afraid to make the wrong decisions. So I had a hard time with college going, okay, what am I going to major in? What am i am going to, at one point, um, I wanted to major in forensic psychology because I'm most fascinated by things that are the opposite of me. Uh, I think that that seems to be rare because I've been observing that I think most people tend to be most interested in reading about things they can relate to or that they can identify with. And for me, it's kind of the opposite. I'm most fascinated in wanting to understand um, things like evil the motiva- human motivations for evil and selfishness because I cannot relate to it I'm a highly empathetic human being and <laughs> the, the fact that there are people in this world the psychopaths who can go around and just do whatever and it doesn't even you know occur to them to care and that just is so bizarre to me so I studied that for a long time and um I also am fascinated by human sexuality so I also studied that for a long time and um, the ways in which religion, can affect how we develop in our as sexual human beings and how it can very much stunt our development in that area, and um, how that can o- oftentimes be the cause of a lot of issues within marriages, while dating, um, even when it comes to sexual violence. And uh, so I wanted to very much delve into that. And then, um, I found myself really fascinated by paraphilias, like what are sexual fetishes? Why do some people have them? Why does it tend to be mostly men? Why, <laughs> all sorts of things. So, those that all of that led me to start the Naked Advice with Liz Lapointe because I wanted to reach other people and ask them for their insight share their stories, tell me, you know, tell me what I don't know because I want to know because I can't relate to this. I want to know what makes some men be turned on by feet. Like I want to understand this. So that's where that came from. And so I educated, I made educational videos as well as teach me because I'm also in this for learning. And oh my gosh, I've gone on so long now. I don't even remember what you asked me. What was the first, (laughs) what did you ask me?
0: Yeah, it was, it's kind of talking about kind of um, when you, when you stepped um, or stepped into that realization that kind of atheism is, is a thing that you kind of, you're, you're happy to associate with, um, whether you kind of lost your purpose or your, um, your destiny almost. But it sounds like you almost, um, you almost found a freedom to begin to delve into things that you weren't kind of um, sure why other people had, had these thoughts or feelings about stuff. So you kind of mentioned like psychopaths there and I I mean I completely agree like it doesn't make sense how someone can go and do like a horrific crime and feel no remorse that just feels really strange and also it's really hard to tell who is like that and that there are people that we will interact with every day well when we're not in lockdown but who we could interact with every day walking past in the store or whatever and and there will be people like that that we do kind of come across Um, but we don't even know who they are it's just it's, it's anyway that's that's a completely crazy situation that we don't really talk about enough but um i just find it really interesting So it, it kind of sounds like you have a real passion for um helping people work through different situations or different sort of tendencies that they might have caught themselves up in due to their past due to their upbringing or their religious indoctrination and stuff how do you go about kind of helping people to begin to unravel some of the crazy sort of um yeah, kind of um, a trauma that that they that they must have experienced to to be able to come to a point where they're able to express themselves openly and honestly once again. Um, you know, within sexuality and within just general life, I guess. Like, how do you begin to help someone like that?
1: Well, when I was answering letters, I did my best to reach out to actual professionals, um, for that kind of deeper insight and um advice to give because. I myself am not a therapist, of course. I'm not licensed to practice actual uh, therapy with anybody who's actually dealing with trauma. But um, I would reach out to a psychotherapist for help sometimes in answering some letters when it was, you know, a deep enough question I couldn't, I didn't trust that I alone could answer. But when it came to anything relationship or dating or or the lower level sexuality things that you know, it was a lot of. Um, What's the word for like getting rid of shame, I guess, because that's one of the deep issues I think a lot of people raised in religious bubbles uh, have to deal with is a lot of sexual shame for things they shouldn't feel shame for. We shouldn't feel guilty and shameful for being sexual beings, for having lustful thoughts, for, you know, being attracted to someone when you're 16 years old and unmarried and or being LGBTQ, you know, things that religion tends to shame that we shouldn't feel shame for. That was a huge mission for me to let's unpack that because you were probably fed a lot of stuff that um, isn't true and isn't healthy. And so... I definitely wanted to unpack that but anything deeper actual trauma yeah that was a subject that you know I left the professionals
0: I guess it's yeah there are some some awful stories out there aren't there and you kind of yeah it's the sort of thing that you you would love to get involved with and help with but you're also aware that some people need that sort of that specialist care and that specialist advice and I think you're absolutely right and wise to have done that so yeah good good on you for that I guess um I think the whole kind of purity culture element to Christianity is something that we don't, we, I don't really hear spoken about a whole lot, um, especially over in the UK, o, over here. We don't really focus on it very much in terms of working out the unravelling of the effects of the purity culture. I think the, the sort of the purity culture um, within Christian circles was you know, an absolutely massive thing. You know, Ten-ish years ago, it was definitely within its prime. Um, and I think there is a lot of fallout from those years and a lot of... Um, People getting divorced who were potentially pushed into situations due to uh, them expressing they fancied someone to to a pastor or to an elder or to a parent, and them going, "Well, you need to marry them now, then," and kind of you know before this sort of sin begins to happen, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's 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 fascinating. So I mean, do you find that you're dealing with people who are? outside of religion then trying to work this stuff through or do you find that actually you're kind of also getting a lot of people who are maybe on the edges or fringes of religion who are beginning to question due to the sorts of uh, demands or pressures that religion is putting upon them due to their kind of sexual orientation or their desires um like how how do you kind of yeah how do you how do you navigate that
1: well when i was answering letters on my blog um or doing video uh answers uh Sometimes people would mention their religious upbringing or their current religion, but for the most part that didn't wasn't even brought up. They would just, you know, say, "Hey, this is my issue and this I'm, you know, me and my wife, we got married when we were virgins and blah blah blah, and, you know, things like that." And so it was actually kind of rare when I would bring up religion in even my advice too. Uh, however, I think because the United States uh, as a culture is mostly Christian, those messages end up seeping culturally. So even people um, who aren't raised in religious homes end up getting the same messages. We get the same double standards where, you know, boys can have sex and nobody thinks twice and girls get slut shamed, you know, all of that stuff has permeated the culture. So even if I get a letter from someone who wasn't really raised in a religious home, they probably absorbed a lot of those messages anyway, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. yeah, I mean, you I think you're right. You you do still see that over here here in the UK. I think it's slow it is slowly changing. Um, but I think, you know, there is that definite um you know, I know of quite a few friends of mine when we were in high school who um, you know, slept with certain people and then their both sets of parents were kind of like, right, well they should be together then and kind of almost like didn't force them to get married, but forced them to kind of be be an item and very out out in the open about that. Um do you do you see I mean, obviously it is changing within the United States as it is within the UK, but how, how do you, how do you think people are going to begin to navigate out of this? And, and what does the sort of, um, in, 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 in your eyes, Liz, what does a, what does a healthy world look like where people are able to, um, explore and, and be who they are without having these sort of, um, stigmas placed upon them? Like, I mean, I can't, I can't, this is, you know, potentially a bad thing, but I, I can't even imagine what, what a, that perfect place would look like where people are able to to fully be themselves. and um, it just seems so alien to me to even be able to begin to picture that, you know, to kind of get rid of all our prejudices and our kind of stigmas that we put on ourselves anyway. And then not like let alone other people. So yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that sort of like that perfect world scenario? Is it possible, do you think?
1: Uh I don't think it's possible, but <laughs> but uh that shouldn't stop us from trying, right? Um I think I would imagine that Uh, sexual violence, rates of sexual violence would probably go down. Um, I think some particular religions, not all, but some in particular are very heavy heavy handed in their misogynistic views of women and the role of men in society and in a marriage. And I think that ends up playing out in ways that result in rape and the molestation of children um, in ways that if they weren't, if those messages were not being uh, compounded by religion as well as justified by their religion, that we'd probably see those rates go down. But obviously there's also all of the other ways in which it would, uh, there would be a ripple effect uh, with women's rights and um, other hard-won civil rights issues and equality. I think fewer LGBTQ teenagers would be suicidal. I think, you know, I mean, we could go on all day probably with examples in the ways in which, unfortunately, religion will claim that it makes people's lives better and is a, a boon to a culture and humanity when really it's doing a lot of the opposite.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know. I agree. I, there's this kind of, there's um, this famous saying which people kind of um, talk about with science. Uh, I've only really ever heard it mentioned, well, I know I've heard it mentioned quite a lot in science, but I've heard it mentioned the most of them kind of evolutionary science, which is um, basically um, evolutionary science progresses one funeral, one funeral at a time so so it's this idea basically that um, within evolution we won't get to the next big breakthrough until the people who are currently kind of making the rules or saying this is what evolution is have, have basically gone and died and with the next lot of people can come up and begin to change the culture I kind of almost wonder whether sadly it is like that for us where there'll be a few voices now today um, you, you know we're both we're both young and, and we, we, we have strong voices and we can kind of make a difference and people listening likewise have have voices. And if, if we can get that sort of message across in a positive, proactive way now, we can begin to see, you know, within our lifetimes change. And there's also, I think a lot of people kind of view... view view the world very much as their lifetime like there are going to be hundreds of years after us thousands of years probably and we can begin to kind of make a difference today for those people when when the sort of stigma hopefully dies with the people that has the stigma and we don't kind of just keep re-embedding it within within children almost and then let them grow up into adults and still kind of spew that same painful message um mm-hmm. yeah hopefully hopefully so what sort of work do you find yourself doing today, Liz, with your sort of, um, you know, your kind of your, your Twitter and and, and and your blog and your and your YouTube channel? Um, how 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 are you focusing yourself around those things today? And what's your sort of kind of aim aim with that at the moment?
1: Well, I started the Godless Liz Twitter profile because I realized while I was giving advice, uh, you know, i I started the Naked Advice with Lizapoint six years ago now, I think, and. For a while there, because I didn't want to alienate anyone, I I wasn't as outspoken about religion or um, my beliefs, uh, you know, et cetera. And then it occurred to me, I'm, what I'm doing is kind of just a band-aid. You need to deal with the root causes of things. Um, and, and so that made me want to start owning it more publicly. And so I started Godless says because I needed that outlet. I needed to um, have some place where I could voice these thoughts and reach people who agree and, and or are at least thinking about this stuff. And um, it's like, it's like finding uh you know an onla- a giant online meetup group that it's great it's been really great there's this rapport and i'm finding i'm making all these new friends it's it's been actually pretty amazing and um but yeah so that was the main motivation for that and the connection of course like we were saying earlier is that um how i want to tackle the issues of religion and sexuality and Um, relationships so that people can be happier because there are a lot of people who are sold that, that, um, that lie that, uh, for example, I think it's more common in evangelical circles to believe that uh, you really don't have to put too much thought into marriage or too much work into it. Because if, if it's a holy marriage and God picked this person out for you, everything should be fine. Just believe in Jesus and everything will turn out fine. And you're like, really? (laughs) that's not how it works that's not reality that's not and unfortunately a lot of people realize that too late
0: yeah yeah that's such a big thing i mean i know so many people that have gone through um especially deconstruction of faith after beginning a marriage where both both partners were christian and then um you know some marriages survive and some marriages don't survive and i think you know a lot of people um kind of put a lot of pressure on themselves to go well you know somehow for instance i'm I'm still with my wife it was a very rocky for a while but we kind of worked it all through and and which is fantastic but i think a lot of people that haven't worked it all through or haven't managed to stay together almost put a lot of pressure on themselves like why can't i do what, what sam did or why can't i do what this other person did i think um there's there's almost this stigma within couples that have been through that sort of deconversion process where could they both could have deconverted or just one of them could have deconverted where They begin to start blaming themselves um, because their lives and situations have changed in ways that I think were outside of their control. So I've got this sort of thing which I say on on most episodes, so listener, forgive me because you've heard this before, but um, I don't think that we have the power to control what does or does not convince us that it's true. So... I mean I could say to you can you now believe that the Islamic hell is true and like of course you're not going to be able to or like can you believe the moon's made of cheese like, of course you're not going to be able to but if I say to you know um, can you can you believe that your husband loves you well of course you're going to be able to because you y- you are convinced of that but I don't think we actually have the power to control what doesn't doesn't convince us Um, which is another big podcast thing but I think there's this this difficulty within relationships and I kind of would really like your advice on that and, and maybe Maybe listening to kind of what you would say to people going through this, um, I I don't I, I don't think we can predict where relationships are going to land once we begin on this deconversion journey. But I kind of want I just I just want listeners to realize that it's it's almost not their fault. Like it, whatever they're going through, however they're experiencing these things, whatever. Um, the tensions are within the relationships and it could be with their children like i know people who literally aren't allowed to see their kids anymore because they don't believe in god like it's 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 horrific um but i kind of want them to hear that it's 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 not their fault and it's um getting getting emotional talking about it it's it's very upsetting that religion has such a strong hold upon what we think somebody is um that if they are not a christian or uh, you know whatever religion it is if they're not that thing then they aren't almost aren't a person or they're lesser than and therefore we need to take away the things that are important like our love or our children or whatever and alienate that person that's a really disruptive and horrific message essentially that i think comes across um i mean have you kind of have you kind of gone through these sorts of conversations um liz and kind of what would you say to somebody like that
1: Uh, Were you describing like the practice of shunning? Yeah,
0: yeah, shame, shunning, and also that sort of withdrawal of love and affection because of someone's beliefs, essentially.
1: It's a really sad um, aspect of most cults where you have been brainwashed into believing in a twisted version of love, right? So what they tell you is, it's loving behavior to shun the people you love because the goal is to get them back. And if you get them back, that will get them to heaven. You know, they'll be saved at the rapture or whatever the why is, right? And and that is really sick. And you basically these cults destroy the families because now everybody's, you know, like uh, they're all, you know, and um were you asking me what I would say to someone who's going through that right now?
0: Yeah, yeah. If, if you're if happy to speak about that, that'd be really helpful, I think, for a lot of people.
1: Well, I think the first thing I would tell someone who's the victim of shunning, that it's not their fault and that um, it's a twisted form of love. That's not real love. That's not true love. And that doesn't mean their parents don't love them or something like that, right? But it means... That they're misguided and they they don't. What's that famous line that uh, uh, so Jesus supposedly said about Father that they don't know what they're doing? Basically, anyway. Yes,
0: yeah, yeah. Father, <laughs> forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there we go. Basically, but um and so it. I don't know if it's something that's forgivable. I mean, that's a pretty unforgivable thing to do. I could never do that to my child. It doesn't matter to me what he would turn out to believe. I'm always going to love him and he's always going to be in my life. Like, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine doing that to my child. Or if they're LGBTQ, a lot of homeless teens end up, you know, kicked out of their house. Because I cannot imagine putting the cult before my own family. But that's exactly what they're taught to do. And they, they have this misguided idea that that's a good thing. I... Uh, My husband and I recently got a letter in the mail a couple months ago, actually, from a Jehovah's Witness, because now they don't go door to door because of the pandemic. And um, I had shared online what my response to them was, because I had written a letter back. And my husband was like, honey, are you sure you want to do that? I I was like, yes, because for too long, religion has always gotten away with not being challenged we were told you have to respect their beliefs and that's that. And you're never allowed to, you're not, it's considered impolite to challenge it. And that's, it's unfair and it's a double standard. Why do they get to push every, you know, um, their beliefs onto any Tom, Dick, or Harry across the street, but Tom, Dick, or Harry is supposed to just shut up and take it. That's not okay. So if you're going to proselytize by sending mail to my house, and I don't even know you, you're going to get a letter back. So I wrote a letter back, but it was, for the most part, I think um, it would, I I didn't do anything like name call or anything crazy like that, but, but I laid it out. I, you know, I was like, this is a cult and I have no interest in joining a cult and, but, you know, please consider. And I started listing all the ways in which I think that particular one um, uh, does evil things in the name of its religion in, in a twisted version of love. And um, I said, it's not too late. So I basically t- turned it around on them and said, and, and tried to get them to under, you know, uh, understand how I see their religion. And uh, it, not that I expect it to actually, <laughs> where they're going to go, Wow, well, this one letter changed my mind, you know, but that's not the point. The point is, is if you're going to proselytize by sending mail, you you need to be okay with hearing the opposite point of view then, basically. But once again, do I, I, I'm starting to wonder if I do this all the time. I just totally went off <laughs> on, and I don't even remember what you originally asked.
0: No, it's, it's really, really good. That's really helpful. I was, I was kind of saying, um, what would you, what would you be saying to people um, who are going through that? And I think you kind of really, really covered well the sort of, um, the, the inability to understand where they're coming from and how that how that um desire to put and you said it really well the the, the cults before the belief uh, sorry before the love the, the the belief before the love of of a child or a a spouse or, or or a friend even and um and yeah i kind of i would i would love to hear as well Liz, if you're happy to kind of what would you I mean, you kind of mentioned like it, that it isn't their fault and i think that's really helpful and really true but kind of how do you encourage somebody to begin to try and find um friendship and, and love within those sorts of kind of safer, more real, complete ways of of, of expressing kind of um yeah, friendship and love and, and and kind of community. Um, because I think a lot of people can find that 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 they're on the outside. Like I've got i I've got a good friend who follows me on Twitter and, you know, I talk to him regularly and he posts um he posts atheist stuff every now and then on his Facebook page. And um I was kind of going through his Facebook page a little while ago and just seeing all of his friends are clearly Christian because he's come out of a Christian re- like faith very recently and they're all just laying into him consistently and it's just a horrific almost, um, like he's just trying to express himself and finding that sort of community but he's unable to, to do that well. Um, so how would you kind of help somebody to almost not give up on people from the experience they've had of the people that they thought were their closest thing, their kind of almost religious family? Um, yeah, what would you say to somebody in that situation?
1: So basically, he's trying to get his family—the the ones who shunned him or 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 no longer belong—he uh, he no longer belongs in that religion. He's trying to get them to understand why he he doesn't belong anymore.
0: Yeah, and I kind of almost want to say to him, "It's not worth it," but also, don't give up on people. There are still people out there who you can talk to, but um, it's hard.
1: Well, I, I very much believe that when you try to reason with someone and it's coming off like they're being unreasonable and like it's you might as well talk to a brick wall, right? That doesn't mean you didn't plant a seed. And so even if someone doesn't concede your points in the middle of the conversation or the discussion, they may walk away going privately. That made sense. And it may plant that seed that snowballs into them thinking deeper about everything and trying to understand your point of view. So in other words, don't give up just because somebody might seem unreasonable in the moment. If it's a loved one, obviously, if you're dealing with just some internet troll, move on. (laughs) Don't waste your time with those people. But uh, yeah, but if it's somebody you're hoping you can reconnect with, or, you know, that's, that's what I say.
0: I want to take a minute of your time to talk about supporting when belief dies. This will always be an advertisement-free podcast, and for that reason, I hope you will be willing to share this episode with your friends and family. Subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app and check us out over on YouTube. Finally, I want to ask you to consider supporting the show financially. You can support the show on Patreon with a monthly gift or a one-off donation via PayPal. Everything that you give goes directly towards running and improving the blog and podcast. Take a look in the description for all the links, and thank you for supporting the show. Right, let's get back to this week's episode. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. I think this is, this is such a big thing. If, if, if people ask the question, I'm happy to give an answer, Um, but it's always in that place of um, apprehension as to what they'll think about me. But I think you're right in what you're saying, because even if they think you're a complete idiot, how can you not believe in God? You might have begun to make them ask that question. Why doesn't Sam or whoever believe in God? Like, what is it that made them turn away from this? almost easy comfortable life they had and begin to go i don't believe this anymore and change their entire world like that's a big thing to have done out of the blue so clearly there must be something to it um so yeah i think that's really helpful and i hope yeah i hope that that helps the listeners as well to kind of grapple with that should i express this or not
1: yeah and i think also they should keep in mind that um anytime somebody is uh what's the word like um Anytime they're confronted with someone being different in a way that's a rejection of something, it makes them uncomfortable because you're forcing them now to think about something they probably didn't want to before or just never have. Or it's similar to, um, this might be a good analogy actually. Uh, In 20 years ago, I became a vegetarian And it was because I asked that question you said earlier about what makes someone do that? Because um, I was curious. I was like, what I was a diehard meat eater. I loved steak. I loved burgers. I, I was like, are you kidding? Who could do that? Who could give this up? Right. And so, but just knowing they exist made me think they must know something I don't. And that led me into reading up on it, studying it, checking books out at the library, checking out websites, you name it. And it just snowballed from there. And it was probably three months later, I just woke up one day and told my live-in boyfriend at the time, I'm going to go vegetarian. And he was like, say what? (laughs) And he was totally supportive. Um, he didn't join, but he was totally supportive. And, um, you know, so it was like veggie burgers from then on out. And it stuck. I never went back. It's been 20 years now. But an, the reason I say this is a good analogy is because I did notice that old friends and family, once I announced I was vegetarian, because it, it has to come up, right? If you're eating with people, it just, if they're like, hey, come over for dinner. And you're like, well, now I'm vegetarian, just, so you know. Um, but, I noticed it made people very uncomfortable because suddenly now somebody close to them is forcing them to think about their own choice to eat meat, right? And that makes people uncomfortable. They hate being around people that (laughs) force them to think about things they don't want to think about, especially people who have a tendency to be on autopilot. There are a lot of people who if you're raised in a particular culture that tells you something is okay, they've just always lived on that autopilot without questioning it. And so when someone does come along to do that, it makes them very uncomfortable. And so religion is like that. If you are, if you're going to be around someone who suddenly rejects that club you were raised in, it's going to make some people uncomfortable. So to keep that in mind.
0: Yeah, that's super true and helpful. Um, Yeah. I, I, I actually went vegan um, at the beginning. Well, it's, I think it's almost i think it has been a year now since i went vegan yeah it was it was the beginning of lockdown here in the uk which was march last year um mm. just from precisely that going why is everyone like why is my twitter feed blowing up about about veganism this makes no sense and then going in and going oh okay Oh dear! I think my entire world's changed, and I had no control over that. Again, um, so that was that was fun, and it's been it's been fun kind of helping um, the boys kind of explore it as well, um, which which has been good for them. I think they've they've enjoyed kind of going. What's that, Daddy? Like that's oat milk, and like oh, what's this? Daddy's? Well, that's your that's your cow milk that 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 you guys have, and them going. Why do you have oat milk? And trying to explain to them. Um, what it is trying to explain to my youngest who's three that i that i that, I, that oat milk isn't isn't something that you make a tree from he's he's convinced that oats are trees basically like little tree seeds I'm like that is not what i an is. But anyway it's it's very cute um yeah yeah kids man. um and i something i was going to ask you i guess kind of talking about um about um this could be a really random tangent, but it's just kind of got me thinking about the way that things are sold. So you kind of talk about autopilot and um, how we kind of see adverts on TV and it could be the, um Quite a lot of the time, weirdly, sex is used within sort of adverts and things to sell something to us. So um, there's been so many kind of adverts for like burgers or uh, takeaway restaurants or whatever, which have been really kind of sexualized into this sort of like, if you want to be a man or you want to be a strong person, go and get this burger and do this and do that and don't do the other thing. And it's 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 almost like you kind of, um, yeah, I think... The the obviously the advertisement companies are very switched on to to sex. They're switched on to what's cool and not cool, and they're trying to consistently push things in your face. Um, and I think that can be helpful to opening up people's eyes to to sexuality in terms of how it can be used and and the different sorts of sexuality that there are. But also it could be quite damaging to to a lot of people. Um, and 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 what is what is a man like What what is it what does it mean to be like a person so another really random example um we do lots of kind of like um hit sessions on 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 youtube here so my wife and me work out most lunch times together and our youngest isn't at school yet, so he's around quite a lot and he's always asking for the muscle man put the muscle man on because there's different sorts of people that do, we do workouts with online and one of them's like this really big beefy guy and um and yeah my, my 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 youngest has has an obsession with him and my wife's like is this okay or not like is it okay that he's wanting to kind of like watch this right really big muscular guy work i'm like it's yeah it's, I mean, it, it is absolutely fine but it's it's, it's interesting because i think it's helpful because it's helping us to ask questions like what are we watching what, what is this selling to us um and, and how are we interacting with it and what does it mean for our children and us to be engaging and consuming these things um so a really really big one there but kind of do you think the way that sexuality and the way that um, almost kind of um, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a man, what it means to be whatever is sold through advertisement, is that healthy or is that negative? And how do you kind of combat it if it is negative? Like, how do you kind of yeah navigate that entire massive world?
1: I think for the most part, the advertisement industry has been pretty negative when it comes to those gender stereotypes and roles and expectations and that makes sense right when you look at what their job is their job is to manipulate you emotionally into thinking you need their product right so what are they going to do to do that they're going to tap into our insecurities and our vulnerabilities and uh, it, you know if if it's about weight or about you know they're going to tap into whatever those insecurities are and tell you you need this product right <laughs> and I think that ends up compounding a a bunch of negative messages for both men and women. I think Um, the majority of the time, the conversation is about how it affects women, of course. Right. And that's one of the reasons why it was such a big deal in the, you know, around 20 years ago when uh, advertisements were finally um, using models that weren't 90 pounds, (laughs) you know, And, you know, so, I mean, we have come pretty far, actually, I think in the last 20 years, things have improved dramatically. I see advertisements now for makeup, where the makeup companies are using women older than 50, you know, in their ads, and and they're beautiful, and it doesn't matter. And it's amazing. And so I think we have come very far. Um, I don't, I can't speak for men, though. I don't know, you know, what, What messages are men getting now? Because I know for a while there, it was very much about bulking up and muscle and uh, or regrowth of hair or things like that. But I mean, has that gotten better?
0: Well, no, I'm I'm still bald, so it's not it's not worked for me um, <laughs> at all. Um, yeah, I find it weird. Like, there's this there's this really funny. Um, I mean, there's there's been lots of these, but there's this really funny meme on Reddit I saw the other day where there's this guy who's like basically benchlifting. And he's like, I'm going to get all the women to love me. He's doing his bench, like doing like really really high bench, and then he uh, he he like goes to the beach and he's in his speedos and he's like walking around like this, and and all the women just walk past laughing, and all the men are like, Oh, bro, how much do you lift? Oh, that's so cool. Oh, look at those muscles. And he's realizing that. That, but essentially, him doing all this kind of bodybuilding is just making other men want to ask him about bodybuilding. Like it's not actually attracting the women that he, he that he thought it was attracting. I thought I thought that was a really clever thing. Like the sort of the thing that we think is going to attract people to us like often doesn't. It just attracts people who think that that's an interesting thing to do. um Yeah, it's just bizarre, but very funny.
1: I did not see that, but that's great. That's because you know what that reminds me of. There are a lot of women who dress. particular way and it's like they're dressing for women they'll dress in a way that the average guy is like meh but women will be like oh my god i love your outfit like where did you get that you know but a guy is just like whatever (laughs) so that's interesting
0: yeah uh, it's fascinating isn't it and yeah I mean I'm probably probably having this conversation with 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 my wife as well about kind of um she you know she wants to kind of wear certain things and she's kind of thinking about how she looks which is you know, absolutely fine um and I'm kind of always trying to help her remember that I'm not really focusing on that like the things that I notice about her are like the way that she's kind of plaited her hair or those those sort of things for some reason that's that's just what I kind of see and and, and recognize and trying to help her realize that the things that I pick up on and the things that she picks up on are completely different things. Like I never look at, at the shoes she's wearing ever, but she's always thinking about those sorts of things. I'm always looking at her eyes and her hair. That's the main thing I look at. I don't know why. That's just the way that I kind of look at her, I guess. Um, it's, it's funny. It is funny the sort of uh, when, when we actually stop and actually analyze how we interact with people and what we think is important on us for them, um, it's often so different, isn't it, to, 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 to reality? Um, yeah yeah I
1: um I I am not like the stereotypical woman when it comes to jewelry a lot of women love they will hang out and browse in a jewelry store or if you're wearing something they want to you know when I got engaged the women would just stare and look at all the diamonds in the ring and everything and I'm just I've never been that way I'm just it's just not as interesting to me but yeah that is that is funny
0: think this is this is i mean i think you kind of summarize it really well there as well it's the um, i think society is um, is becoming more comfortable with individualism so i think we've especially within religion we've had this thing where we've gone this is what a this is the couple this is what it looks like this is the family structure if it's outside of this it's not okay you've got to stick within these norms and actually over time we're beginning to realize that people can be themselves and as long as they're not hurting other people that's okay like people can wear what they want to wear they can be who they want to be and um and actually you'll kind of meet people who who are in similar sorts of positions to you because of the sort of natural tendencies that you'll 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 go to certain places you'll be on certain websites you'll engage with certain people on twitter like you've got the godless liz account because you want to engage with that group of people um and it's just fascinating because i think we we begin to be able to carve out the the areas of our life that we want to be able to um yeah interact with and socialize with and actually begin to have those deeper relationships um which i mean that that feels like a fairly new thing right that that i don't feel like that's been going for that long it seems to have been i mean at least for me it was definitely a case of this is what family looks like and then when i left religion i began to go well, if that's not what a family looks like, what is what what is family? Because that entire question shifts from a, a husband and a wife and their children to, oh, family can be completely different. It's a completely different concept when you're outside of religion. Um, yeah, I don't know. Have you Have got any have you got any thoughts on sort of how we how we group people together and how we use individualism to express ourselves, but also kind of come together for certain sorts of um, relationships, I guess? Yeah, a, a big question, I'm aware, so apologies for that. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, I was going to say, I might have to think about that one. Uh, You know, when when you bring up how it can be different outside of religion, I mean, we all are aware that religion um, tends to have very rigid rules, right? Very rigid rules about how you can live, even how you can eat. You know, uh, uh, if you're Muslim, you can't have alcohol and you don't um, eat pork, right? And, you know, so every religion has their rigid rules and how you live and who you can marry and all that stuff, right? I think I knew someone who grew up Mennonite and I remember her telling me they even had rigid rules about what color socks you could wear or something like something so meaningless and petty that it was just mind blowing. I couldn't believe it. But anyway, (laughs) so yeah, when it comes to relationships and family, yeah, family is who you love, who loves you, who accepts you for who you are, who you can feel good about being around, right? Who you can be your authentic self around. Those are the people we feel closest. Uh, I find that it's really difficult to feel close to people if you feel like there are subjects that you cannot put on the table for discussion. Anytime there are subjects that you, if there's a wall there, If there's, you might love somebody for all sorts of other things, but if there's a particular elephant in the room all the time, um, that neither of you are comfortable, uh, pointing out or talking with each other, that, that tends to chip away at how close you can feel to that person. And, um, unfortunately that's my family for me. I, I, I love them, but we aren't close. We have very little in common. There's a, there are a lot of subjects. None of us put on that table. And um, I have never had open discussions with my mom or my brother. I think he still goes to church with his wife and kids, but um, my younger sister, I don't I don't think, she's probably a lot like me. She's probably going to be the closest to uh, matching up with my views of the world and everything. Um, but it's still not something we talk about, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: So family, my husband is atheist as well and um it, when we met it was one of the first conversations we were able to have with each other and discern, you know. And um and thankfully it's it's wonderful being married to somebody where that is never an argument. N- nothing, we never have fights related to anything with child raising or life major life decisions or goals we never could we're always on the same page and it's because we have the same you know secular humanist uh views of the world and of other humans and and that's a wonderful thing to have
0: yeah yeah i'm sure there'll be a lot of people that are very jealous to hear that um yeah, yeah it's such a yeah i mean i think that's, i think that's the way the world's going i hope that's the way the world's going i know that i think you know someone like like Seth Andrews, who I've spoken to, kind of talks about his wife being being religious, but how um, actually within the religion itself, there's that humanist um, elements that you can begin to draw out. So I think even within sort of relationships, especially with, with my wife, she, she's Christian and I'm not, um, I can begin to pull on those, those humanist elements and go, well, I still care about the same things just for different reasons. And actually begin to kind of work that through together um though we do definitely still have arguments um but I think that's just because we've got two really little kids and we are tired too much uh, yeah. basically um no that's 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 really helpful and I was going to kind of kind of ask you if it's if you're happy to talk about it and I didn't didn't prep you beforehand so just feel free to say no and we can move on but um I think For a lot of people who have come out of religion the idea of raising children um now is quite a scary thing um like how do i raise like i've got two little boys how do i raise two boys that are loving and whole and complete um without without a god and that might sound completely crazy to you but you know it was put in me right from a really young age that I was only complete when I had that relationship with Jesus, and I obviously don't believe that's true anymore. But actually, when I then come to my children to raise them and to help them begin to grapple with the big questions of the world, it, it can be a real challenge to to know how to interact with difficult circumstances like bullying, or um, you know, this child on the street won't play with me because I've not got like the latest pair of trainers or sneakers in America or whatever. Um, so, like, how do you? I'm not asking you to tell me how to raise my children, but what I'm asking you to do is to help me know where to go to find resources or to find supports to be able to yeah, raise children in a a healthy wholesome way because i mean another example and then i'll let you respond sorry liz i I keep talking um basically so i was told for instance that homosexuality was wrong right right from the get-go and my parents still very much believe homosexuality is wrong so i'm consistently in that tension with them um to kind of we just don't talk about it essentially but um you know so i've been i've been taught things from a very young age that have affected how i view the world and i have to work those things back and begin to accept people again and to open myself up and I feel like I'm still so far in the process of working things through myself that I'm gonna get it wrong with my kids I'm gonna like put things in them that they're gonna have to work back hopefully not to the same extent as that but still things that are kind of like incorrect and wrong so yeah how, how do you how do you begin to look at ways of raising children effectively I, again massive question but yeah I, I would love your thoughts
1: well my husband and I Pretty early on, after um, our son was born, we we talked very deeply about how to handle those things because we do still have religious family members, and so we proposed um, uh, hypotheses to each other, like, "Oh, you know, what if your mom, uh, you know, tries to take him for the day and go get him baptized behind our back, or you know, <laughs> scenarios like that?" Right? Thankfully, nothing like that has happened, but. Uh, But we decided pretty early on that we would always um, talk to him at his age level and not below it. Because I think a lot of, you know, that's difficult to do when you don't want to broach certain topics with your kids. But um, it's not healthy to just, you know, brush it off or tell them they won't understand or whatever. And so, but pretty much we decided pretty early on to talk to him uh, the opposite way we were talked to growing up. We didn't have adults that engaged us intellectually in that way. We didn't have adults that would explain things to us in a respectful um, way that it respected our emotions or our intellectual curiosity. Or uh, So we did that with him. And as far as any religious influences from outsiders or we have always been open with him about what religions are, what different ones believe, what it means, and how not all religious people are bad people. Don't assume, it always treat, it doesn't matter what religion they say they came from, always treat them as a blank slate. Always tr- get to know them first, because everyone is different, even within the same denomination, right? Right there are going to be people who are evangelical who don't believe certain things that some of us might assume they would right and so so that's important i got him do you know who david mcafee is
0: it rings a bell um yeah gone. can't go on, sorry
1: no that's okay he he's an author he wrote books for children about gods and beliefs and um the supernatural and so forth and so I got him a couple of David McAfee books for kids and those were great we read them together and you know so it's basically wanting to raise him understanding world religions from an objective point of view basically and uh, because my concern is I want to raise my child to have a good bullshit detector if that makes sense Because even outside of religion, you're going to meet a con man at some point in your life, right? Somebody who's going to feed you bullshit, and they're going to expect you to buy it. And so it's really important to me that he doesn't give in easily to peer pressure, that he doesn't, you know what I mean? Those kinds of things. Um, But I think uh, back to what you originally asked, though, you were saying, how do you handle uh, outside religious influence? Is that what you were saying?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So how do you, how do you begin to, yeah, raise children and um, help them to have a healthy perception of the world? And also, um, I guess also bearing in mind that the people listening and myself included with that are still trying to work through a lot of the um, trauma might be too strong a word, but a lot of the sort of um, hang ups that religion have given them um at the same time as trying to raise children, which seems like an impossible task, a lot of the time, um, yeah, basically.
1: Oh, oh, okay. Well, I'm not going to pretend to have these all these answers, but <laughs> but the first thing that pops into my brain when you remind me of what you were asking me um, is if if you if you already find yourself questioning certain messages you got um, growing up or from your parents or whatever, then just never give up on that. Basically every step of the way with parenting, I would take a moment to go, now this is the way I was raised and this is what I was told is good, but is it? Just basically never stop questioning the the messages you received and whatever. I, uh, did that with spanking, for example. Spanking, there's a great example. Um, uh, a lot of religions, it's the whole spare the rod, spoil the child, right? And um, our son's never been spanked, not once, not a single day in his life. And my husband and I agreed on that from the get go, that we would not be spankers. And um, it has been, and he is a really well adjusted, well behaved kid who has never th- thrown a tantrum. Like this, this, this idea that you need to spank for kids to become well-behaved, respectful adults is absurd. And so that would be like a belief we were raised to have that we decided to, let's take a step back and think about this. And what do studies say? The science says that uh, kids who are spanked are are more likely to do uh, worse in school, things like that. And so all that taken together so that's just an example.
0: Yeah, and it's 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 really helpful. It's, uh, same like I was, um, I was it called in my house. It was called the wooden spoon. Like if you were naughty, you get the wooden spoon and uh, yeah Kirsty was straight away for me she was like so Kirsty's my wife she was um she was like I don't want to do the whole wooden spoon thing I was like yeah, okay good because it really isn't effective like it just it just doesn't work um she's like let's let's try something else like, okay le- le- let's do that and um and yeah that's been good. I think I think as well you're right when you say don't stop questioning things. I think that's almost a lesson we can take from from our kids. Like kids are consistently questioning everything like right? it's question 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 question. Oh, question 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 question. Like that's just the way kids are wired. and actually we could almost learn a lesson from them to 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 question how we're responding to things and to question the sort of people that we are with our interactions. Um I've
1: very much true
0: yeah yeah and i've also noticed as well that um as hard as it is within marriage and i think within parenting too um it's it's almost like the children are little mirrors into how we behave and how we respond to stuff so um my eldest has recently started kind of going no i will not do that and being very kind of like And i'm like oh man that sounds like me when I get asked to do something and I'm busy on my phone or I'm working on my email, like, shut the door. No, I no, I cannot come out right now. Go away. I'll be, I'll be working away on my laptop. I'm like, oh, man, they're, they're basically mirroring how I respond to them or respond to different circumstances or if someone calls me up and I'm quite abrasive maybe. Um, they're picking up all that stuff all the time and actually showing it back to me and going, oh, man, I'm a twat. Like, I'm not a nice person. It's awful. <laughs> um, and actually beginning to kind of like work out, okay, well, how can I not be such such a horrible person, or as in, how can I not respond in such a negative way that they're beginning to kind of replicate that themselves? It's it's challenging.
1: True. It's so true. When uh, our son was a toddler, I was still, uh, I have learned not to do this since then, but <laughs> when he was around two or three, I would still do this thing uh, where anytime I was frustrated by something small, I would go, God damn it. Or I would... <laughs> Or I would yell, fuck, you know, or something like that. Like if you just drop something repeatedly or, you know, and then, but it was safe to do until he started talking. And then one day he repeated what I said in the exact same tone. And you're right. It was that mirror moment. I went, Oh my God, it sounded awful coming from him. It must sound awful coming from me, you know? So yeah, it's one of those things that that's one of the beauties, I think of parenting that you, you, you learn about yourself through your kids yeah
0: and they're always painful lessons (laughs) like they're not (laughs) easy lessons are they oh gosh yeah right (laughs) i I was um i was sat there and it isn't it isn't a a bad phrase or anything but i was sat there the other day um uh, doing something i can't remember what i was doing and um and i just heard my youngest sat in the kitchen playing with play-doh um and he just went what the heck i'm like oh that is well, that's what I say when I'm confused about something like that. He's just picked it up and he's just rolling with it. It, you know, they don't even understand, really understand. They just know the sort of situation it works in when it's used, and they'll just add it into their vocabulary, and that's it. They're they they're they're going with it. Um, so yeah, yeah, I need to be more careful. Uh, it's just so hard to rein it in sometimes. I think. Um, anyway, lessons for us all, I'm sure. Um, Liz, I kind of wanted to make sure that we kind of touch on kind of what you're doing at the moment, and 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 also kind of how people can. Um, um, get involved and kind of learn more about sort of, um, healthy sexuality, I guess it's probably the, the best way to, to talk about it. I know you've got a YouTube channel. and there's some amazing videos and resources in there where you openly discuss some really potentially awkward subjects, but in a really loving and kind way. So I wonder if you can kind of just run us through your work in general and how people can begin to interact with that.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, well yeah, I have the Negative Advice with Liz LaPoint on YouTube and uh the Negative I don't answer letters on anymore, but LizLapoint.com I um blog very regularly about a lot of my experiences because at one point I decided, you know, I'm writing as an outsider. I want some insider knowledge, I want some insider experience. So I um I worked as a financial dominatrix, I made foot fetish videos, I have an OnlyFans, and so um, I'm learning a lot, and uh, so I write a lot about those experiences, and um, as well as research them still, and so yeah, so you could sign up to my email list and read my uh, insights and my blogs on lizlapoy.com. I don't make new videos for my channel, I still, uh, and I appreciate it, I still get letters from people who are like, I miss your channel, I miss your videos, how come you don't make any more, and it's just, it ended up being too too time consuming and energy con- consuming to do on a regular basis, um, and not be paid for it, and so <laughs> And so I was like, okay, my husband was helping me do the videos on on his days off. And I was like, he never had a day off. And I, it finally was like, okay, I'm done. I, I had covered most of the topics that I wanted to cover. And, um, but yeah, so that's how they can, um, interact with me. Um, I just think it's super important it's weird because I don't call myself an activist, but I guess I kind of am. Like, it, it's it's important to me that um, we undo a lot of the damaging messages that people are getting about their sexuality and and um, and get unpacking that shame, like I was saying earlier, and um, and to know that um, there's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with you for, you know, it goes back to that. And so that's, I guess, my mission Um, to, for people to, for self-love. And because once you heal that, once you uh, unpack the the damaging messages and body hangups and so forth, you might've been fed growing up or whatever. And once you accept that human sexuality is just a normal, healthy part of, the human experience and none of us would be here if it wasn't for it. And, you know, like let's, and there's a middle ground, obviously. I wrote about this recently on my blog actually about there's purity culture, right? And then there's reckless, unhealthy, you know, have sex with everyone every day, (laughs) you know, clearly there's a healthy middle ground there that we can, we can, um, um, Uh, that can be the goal. And so that's my goal is for people, there's got to be a middle ground there that we all shoot for, I guess.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd, I'd recommend your work. I'd recommend, yeah, your YouTube channel your blogs. And I find it very helpful when I've kind of come across subjects or topics. I'm like, I don't even know where to start with this. This is so new to me coming out of Christianity a few years ago. Like I would never have spoken about, you know, some of the topics you've, you've, you've looked at in depth. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's really helpful. So thank you for it. And I'll make sure there are links in the description um for, for all, all that. So yeah, Liz, it's been, it's been so good chatting to you today. I, I really appreciate your time and your work. And yeah, thank you so much for sharing.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And I'm sorry, by the way, uh, for messing up your intro. <laughs> I, 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 for some reason, I thought you were saying hello to me when you when you started the show and you said hello and you're, you're doing your intro and I interrupted, I'm sorry.
0: It's all good, don't worry, not, not a problem at all. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. To leave any comments or thoughts, you can head over to YouTube and to follow us on social media or to see where else we are online, hit the link in the description. Thank you to all our regular givers for making this dream a reality. I'll catch you here at the same time next week. Enjoy the journey.